Hey, dear ones, did you know that you have a built-in compass guiding you to your soul mission with all the tools you need to fulfill that soul mission? Sound exciting? Then join me for a Soul Blueprint, the only certification program that reveals how to amplify your five spiritual gifts so you can consciously create a life and business of massive soul line success. Enroll now at allisonscammell.com forward slash soul blueprint. And you can find that link in the show notes. Good day and welcome to the show. Episode number four, Allison Scammell here. In today's episode, I'm talking to Master Certified Coach Michael Trotta about original medicine or the frequency that makes us all unique. We'll be exploring what original medicine is, the four natural gifts that show up in each of our four life stages, and the relationship between these natural gifts and our medicine. The episode ends with an amazing challenge from Michael that I'm certain will inspire you to ask questions you've never considered before. So you'll want to stick with us until the end. Welcome to She Grows, a podcast for soul-guided women entrepreneurs ready to grow their income, impact, and inspiration. Each week, we're going to explore how to align to the soul of your business and grow it from there. I'm your host, Allison Scammell. Let's get growing. Hey there. Oh my goodness. You are in for such a treat today. You are in the right place. I had the absolute honor and pleasure of chatting with Michael Trotta all about original medicine. I refer to medicine as core gifts, as you may know if you listen to anything I put out, but it all points to our natural genius, that genius we were born to share. And if you Google original medicine or core gifts, let me tell you, there's not a whole lot out there. So if there's anyone I know who knows a whole lot about this, it's Michael. Michael Trotta is a mentor and natural learning specialist, master certified coach, storyteller, fly fishing junkie, student of native traditions and the hero's journey, a proud dyslexic, facilitator of rites of passage programs, artist, community builder, and coffee lover who helps people identify their original medicine so they can make a living doing what they love. It's a well-known fact that he was raised by coyotes and is now happily raising one of his own, along with cats, goldfish, and a small flock of chickens somewhere streamside in Westchester County, New York. It was an absolute thrill for me to speak with Michael. I myself am someone who knows a bit about this topic as I coach other people to identify and express their core gifts or their medicine, but it's always amazing to me how much I learn whenever I speak to him. So I hope you receive as much from this interview as I did. Welcome, Michael Trotta. I am so thrilled that you took the time to chat with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So you are my first guest in this podcast, She Grows. And when I was thinking about who I wanted to interview first, you were the first person who popped into my head. Right on. It is truly an honor. Oh, thank you. 
So um, you have been a mentor of mine for some time and really taught me how to explore and understand and put words to and be my original medicine. So let's just jump right into it. Um, I have interviewed you before, and we talked all about original medicine in that last interview. Why don't you remind the listeners what it means? I often tell uh, this really brief little story that comes from the Bushmen of the Kalahari to help explain to people what our medicine is, this term means. So in this Kalahari creation story, they say that when we're born, we are born with these four thin threads that extend from the center of who we are, from the core of who we are. One of those threads goes to the self, one to the earth, one to others, and the fourth uh, to the ancestors. And they say that during our lifetime, it's our job and, in fact, our responsibility to build those thin threads of connection into thick ropes. And at the place where those ropes meet, we find that thing that is our core. And I've applied this idea of medicine to it. They didn't call it that. I'm calling it that. So in that, our original medicine is the thing that we come into the world with that we're meant to share with other people. You can call it your superpower. You can call it your genius. You can call it uh, your gift whatever you want to call it, there's been words to name it or describe it throughout history, throughout cultures all over the world. And again, the idea is to figure out what it is within your lifetime and share it with the people who need it most. In perhaps a, a simpler way of describing it, I just look at it as the frequency of who you are when you are truly being who you are. And to look at it almost from that vibrational point, because that's what a frequency is, it's a vibration, uh, you can just ask yourself, are you vibrating on your true frequency, or is that frequency being distorted? And throughout history, cultures all over the world had things in place to help put an individual into relationship with their unique frequency, um, I believe that our culture does a whole lot of things to prevent us from being in our unique and authentic frequency. Does that answer the question, Allison, for regional medicine? It absolutely does. And I just want to mention that in my coaching and within this podcast, I call them core gifts. And you and I, Michael, have talked a lot about the difference between original medicine and core gifts. I think there are likely nuances in how we interpret them and experience them. But I define core gifts as the unique abilities we're born to share. And I think that we're getting towards the same thing. But I just wanted to mention that so people aren't confused uh, as to what we're talking about here. Yeah. I, it, semantics often, right? You know? Yeah. Hey, the idea is that both you and I work to help people figure out what it is that they have to offer the world, yes. period, end of sentence, yes. right? You call it a gift, you call it your medicine, you call it your mojo, right? whatever. The only place where I hesitate with people when it comes to that semantic stuff is uh, talents. Uh, certainly, we all have things that we're 
good at, sometimes good at naturally, sometimes good at because we've practiced really hard. I, I define talents as something different than our gifts or our genius or our medicine, uh, simply because people tend, I've noticed, to literalize when they're trying to figure out what they might want to do with their life. And they'll say, well, I'm good at this thing. So that's probably what I'm supposed to be doing. And just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you need to turn that into a business or find a job that allows you to do that. Your core gift, and you can tell me if this matches for you, uh, or I will say your original medicine, when you know what it is, you want to share it with the world. And you can apply it to any job or action that you feel called to. And what that allows you to do, at least what it's allowed me to do, uh, I can apply my medicine to a wide variety of things. I've done it as a teacher. I do it as a mentor. I do it as an artist. I apply it to my parenting. I apply it to my relationship building. I apply it. It's just who I am when I'm all lined up, you know. Um, And it can't be taken away from me. I might be a brilliant piano player, have a talent for piano, but if something happened to my hands and I couldn't play anymore, does that mean I've lost my original medicine? No, it doesn't. It just means I may not be able to filter my original medicine through my ability to play piano anymore, but I haven't really lost the core of who I am. And so in, in that, that's partly what I use to define it so that people don't feel trapped to have to do something that they're good at for a living. Yes, and that's exactly how I would define my worldview of it <laughs> as well. Because um, I, I often say, like, how do you want to be in expression of your gifts? And that's exactly what you're talking about as a parent, as a coach, as an artist, as however you're going to show up, you know, and to be in that expression, expression in that relationship with your gifts I right. love it. Could you imagine if we were asked that when we were younger? Because that, that's the reason why I, I differentiate that is because so many of us growing up uh, reach a certain age where we do start to think about, hmm, what do I want to do for a living? And then we're given like a set of categories. And you can say, well, which of your talents and desires would fit into one of these categories? And then we might pursue that category, a job in this or a career in that. And then put all this work and energy into doing it because somebody said, well, you're good at that. And then 20 years down the road, you're like, I'm so unfulfilled. This is not what I want to be doing. How did I get here? And I, I, I think it's because we're not that the focus is put on applying a talent to a job that needs that talent rather than learning the practice of aligning with your original medicine or your core gifts and, and living from that place, which is uh, fluid. Yeah. Yes. Another thing that fascinates me or I find so fulfilling about this process of discovering your medicine and possibly finding words to name your medicine is that there's no other box for it. So if you take Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders or some of the other you know quizzes, They put you in a box (laughs) and that box might be helpful. It might identify parts of your personality or how you show up in the world or solve problems. But when you name your medicine, you're creating the only box in the world. (laughs) There's no other box. Uh, You're the only one that's going to fit into that. And I find that pretty exciting. 
Do you see it the same way? Yes, big time. Um, so being someone who's grown up with learning disabilities, I, I have all kinds of, or I've had all kinds of labels thrown on me that then put you in boxes. And I struggled with that. Like it, the, the focus was always on uh, the disability or the thing that I struggled with. And that became a part of my identity. That's the same thing way I feel about the Myers-Briggs and all of those. I know that they've been helpful for people. So I don't want to say that they're, you know, they, they don't come with their benefits. But I do believe that they're limiting and they put you in a box. And something gets lost in, in the human spirit, in my opinion, anytime you're put into a box. And so, yes, the answer is yes. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> awesome. So moving on, can you tell us about the four cardinal directions and how they correlate to the various stages of our lives and our original medicine? Sure. So four directions. I mean, again, I said a lot of what I've learned uh, comes from a, a native lineage, so I want to name that and honor it. And, and so the way I look at things is often related uh, in a directional path, east, south west, north. Uh, and just like I, I shared the Kalahari story I talked about when we're born, we have these four thin threads. Cultures all over the world throughout history related to nature through those directions. That said, uh, in my own studying and learning, uh, I took a look at the human life cycle. And if you just simply break it into four main categories, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and elderhood. So you can apply each of those to one of those directions, starting with childhood in the east, the place where all over the world, the sun rises in that direction, right? So childhood is this place of newness, of inspiration, of curiosity, of aliveness, and the natural gift that comes out in people when all things being equal is the gift of play. And as a teacher, I would study this as well. When we're born, we're born downloaded with the instinct to play. That's how we engage with the natural world when we're allowed to engage with the natural world. We play games. Uh, we make up games. And I think remarkably, all over the world, children play the same games and often without really being taught them. And what they are are responses to nature and our instinct to survive. So let me give you an example. Um, a very common childhood game would be like hide and seek. Have you ever played that? Sure have. Play it with my daughter all the time. Right, right. Universal game. Yep. It's, it speaks, if you look at it, to a predator-prey relationship. It's the act of hiding and of seeking. It's the act of avoiding being preyed upon by a predator and or as a predator, which we are, uh, stalking and sneaking up and finding prey for our own survival. But... We play that game, we practice that survival skill through play. 
So we receive uh, dopamine hits because it's so much fun, you know, to play that and to sneak around. And that dopamine is rewarding our efforts to play that game, which is deepening our relationship to our own survival. So play is a gift that comes out in all of us at a very, very young age from the beginning, really, so that we can deepen our relationship to our own survival. Make sense? Yes. As we and, and of course, all of this, just I, I'm putting them in four categories, but it is on a continuum. So with that said, as we start to grow and mature, we move towards adolescence and our bodies shift and change. And so do our brains. And somewhere in early adolescence, as all of those things are going on, uh, we start to look around the world and we start to ask questions like, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Uh, what is my position in this group and community? Hey, wait, I'm not my parents. I have my own mind and my own thoughts. And um, what does that mean, right? It's a, it, it's a time of rapid growth uh, externally as well as internally. And in that internal rapid growth, one of the things that's going on and what I would call the second natural gift is focused learning. You know, when we're kids playing all those games, we're learning a ton, but it's often not focused. It's We're just learning a little bit of this and a little bit of that and some of this and some of that, and it's like coming at us from everywhere. But by the time we reach adolescence, we start to focus our attention on the things that most call to us and why they most call to us probably has a, a wide variety of possibility and reasons. That is what we do. We start to find things that we are most interested in, and then we ask questions about that and seek to learn more about that particular thing. Um, an example in a natural setting, uh, a, a young person might find that they have a, a gift or a propensity for storytelling. And so they'll start to focus their attention on their ability to tell stories by looking to those that are older than them who are really good at it and seeing how they do it and trying to figure it out and asking questions of it and receiving mentoring from older people who are in fact storytelling. And I'm using storytelling as an example of what it would be like, uh, perhaps more in a, in a native uh, and traditional setting. Today, that might look a little bit different. And today, in fact, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to understand how it all works out or see how it all works out. Because when we're in adolescence, we're often told what to learn. You know, we're given curriculum, we're give, we're put in boxes and, and, and handed books that are in the shape of boxes and said, this is what you need to know in order to be successful. And well, look, I, I can go on about the modern education system. Um, Sorry, just to add from my experience to we're forced to sit in boxes. It was really, really hard for me as a child to sit. I didn't learn through sitting and listening. I learned through doing and moving. And that was really hard for me. So I acted up and I was very naughty. I got in trouble a lot because I just, I couldn't sit. So I think that was. It's not hard. natural. It's not natural, you know? and, right? And, and yeah, it's not. It's not. Our modern education system. I go off forever, but you know, it's designed off of a, an industrial model. And it's even if you look at schools today, uh, or you know, when they were begun to be built uh, 
back in the turn of the last century, they were completely designed off of the industrial model to prepare people to work in factories. And it's this antiquated system that has all of these ramifications that really work against not only these natural gifts, but who we are at our core. Um, In those traditional cultures, the idea of engaging with these four natural gifts was all to put a person into relationship with their original medicine because it was understood that a person living in relationship to their original medicine was the best case scenario for the tribe, right? It was like, why wouldn't you put a person into relationship with their gifts if that's the way that they can best serve the unit of the tribe? Today, in that modern education system, it's not about putting a person into relationship with their medicine. It's about putting a person into relationship with information so that they can use that information to eventually go to produce something factory oriented or whatever. Um, you know, it, it's just, I mean, it's, it's the way it is. Uh, yeah. So anyway, adolescence, that's where we left off. The natural gift is focused learning. Um, a person would be encouraged to learn more and deepen their learning around the things that they were most interested in uh, because it was understood that it would, it would give them feedback about their gift, about their medicine. When they transitioned past adolescence, they'd go into adulthood where the gift is, and this might seem weird to some people, but it's the gift of service. It's you've, you've spent childhood playing and taking in all of this information uh, and learning about survival. You've moved into focused learning where you've honed in on those things that most call to you and developed your skill in that so that now as an adult, you can use your gift, you can use those things that you're interested in to serve the community. Um, and you can still see that. I mean, the people who run our culture are really people who are in their adult life stage. Uh, and then eventually, and hopefully, when you're in your adult life stage, by then, you've gone through ceremony and ritual and initiation where you do know what your medicine is. Um, so you're uh, like what you and I do. We help people know what that is so they can apply it to a form of work uh, or a project or whatever it might be that not only feels good to them, but that serves other people. And you spend a lifetime doing that or your adult life phase doing that again on a continuum um, so that by the time you reach that, that stage in life, where you're older and uh, you're perhaps ready to put down the physical efforts that come from the adult life stage, you move into elderhood where the gift is sight. That is to say you have the ability to see the gifts in others because you've lived from your gift for so long. And uh, you're now using your medicine to essentially bless and honor and help draw out the gifts in the people in the generations below you. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. And just, um, do, I understand that childhood is facing the east or starts in the east. Can you describe the relationship to the directions? Um, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it again, based in, in uh, native philosophies and 
and and nature. Uh, the sunrise, a lot of it's based on the sun. Mm. The sun rises in the east, childhood. Mm-hmm. The sun is in, uh, at least here in North America, the sun is always slightly in the south during noontime. So mm-hmm. adolescence is the noon of life. The sun is most concentrated and most focused at that hour. Mm-hmm. So we associate that with adolescence. Uh, the sun is starting to come down and set. That would be a, in, in the West. So we, we place adulthood in the West because that's where the sun is setting. It's also associated, and each of these can be, with the seasons. So if childhood was spring, newness, summer was adolescence, uh, adulthood would be autumn. So it's like the harvest of life. It's where all the uh, learning and rapid growth and focused energy has taken place already, and now we're receiving the fruits of life so that we can use it to serve and feed the people. So with the sun down, now we move towards uh, elderhood. You might associate that with winter. Your hair is white. Uh, it's a time of reflection. It's a time of storytelling. It's a time of uh, not the physical work, but the going inward to prepare for the next cycle. And that would be death or whatever comes after. All right, let's unpack this a bit. So, Michael, what's the relationship between these life stages, say childhood and our medicine? So, if you remember in the Kalahari story, it said that there are these four thin threads. And the first one that's mentioned is this thread from the center of who we are, which I would say our original medicine, to the self. So, there's this thread between our medicine and this idea of self. The natural gift is play in childhood. So the act of playing builds the thread of self into a rope in that we find an identity, who I am. This is a sense of self. Self is more than just identity even. It's it's the idea that I am a living, breathing creation. You know, I'm, I'm here. And uh, that is built through play, through engaging with the natural world. And again, on a continuum, we deepen that sense of self over time through play. And what's really, I think, imperative to at least question or look at is that the natural way to build that sense of self is through play and not work. In our modern culture, something gets distorted where work, the putting out of effort, and I I define work as with, it's synonymous with suffering for most of us, right? Or it has become that way. Children do a lot. They put out a lot of energy, a lot of effort in the act of play. And as that matures over time, I believe that you can still connect with your medicine, build that rope to the self and the other stages through an experience of play rather than uh, work. Naming that, just put a pin in it. Maybe we'll come back to it. So that's essentially what it is. That childhood life stage and its connection to our original medicine is the act of building relationship to a sense of self through play. That rope, that thick rope, becomes like a pipeline of relationship 
to our medicine. And here's the thing. I believe that all of us are wounded in childhood. It's just the nature of life. Uh, whether that wounding is something unfortunate and horrible, if you will, that happens to us as a child, or it, it's something seemingly simple, like an offhand remark from a, a, a parent or a teacher or a friend. We receive certain things in certain ways that, that kind of take a hit at that sense of self. Um, and that's where in childhood we give the medicine to ourselves. Those wounds cause the medicine to rise up and to heal us and allow us to make it through childhood. Not unwounded, but with the ability to heal. Make mm -hmm. sense? It does. It does. So we go into adolescence then, which I'm going to assume that you'd want to know about next, yeah? Yes, please. <laughs> we go into adolescence, and like I had said before, because we've been playing as children, uh, we've learned things about who we are, that sense of self, who we are, and we naturally just start asking, why am I here? What am I supposed to do with all these things I've been learning about who I am? How can I use it? What, what's the function of it? It's just this kind of neat thing that happens in adolescence. And in a lot of native and traditional cultures, adolescence was considered the second birth. Our first birth was when we were literally physically born. And the second birth is the birth of who we are. It's the birth, the coming out of our original medicine, right? And what that might mean or look like is uh, a traditional rite of passage, which was something that cultures all over the world had in place at that second birth life stage to help a person begin a conscious relationship with their original medicine, with their genius or whatever you want to call it, superpower. In childhood, we're not mature enough to fully grasp what that is. Right? We don't have to carry the responsibility that comes with that gift. We're just children. We're playing. But in adolescence, we start to move into a place where we're ready to begin to learn how to carry our gifts. We haven't perfected it. You don't have to go run the whole tribe or get a job necessarily. But you do need to begin a conscious uh, mentorship or apprenticeship with your gift. And so a rite of passage was the traditional modality by which people were sort of thrown into the fire, if you will, uh, were, were given opportunities to be tested, to push themselves to an edge, so much so that the medicine was drawn right to the surface. So it was undeniable that this is the thing that's going to let you survive this experience that you're in right now. Because rites of passage were often very difficult or very challenging, you know. And you needed to draw on some deeper inner strength. You weren't going to just walk through it. And that strength was always your medicine. And when it came to the surface, you had uh, facilitators that were there. To help you identify it, to say, oh, do you see that? Do you feel that? 
that frequency, that strength, that power you didn't know you had, that's your medicine. And through ceremony and, and a whole bunch of other things, the person then began that conscious relationship to it. And they began what I would call a, a, an apprenticeship to it. So that adolescence was a time of focused learning of what your gift was that you had to share with the world. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It Very does. different than, than now I think we're often in, in adolescence. Should we engage with that natural gift of focused learning? It's normally on things like SAT scores or I, I got to get into college, the mm-hmm. test prep, all that kind of stuff. Like it's information. It's And not that that stuff's not important, right? It is. And it can be very useful, but it's hollow in my judgment if it's not in relationship to the person's medicine. Yes. Right? You talked about this already, but it it often astounds me how the modern world is designed to really um, stunt the (laughs) the knowledge that we have these gifts our access to it um when you look how how tribes and ancient cultures were organized around helping children identify and express and cultivate and we just aren't organized that way now but i always like to say i like to be optimistic that you you know you're an example i think i'm an example of how you can get this knowledge back you don't even if though i would i didn't have access to this knowledge as a child I have access to it now, and I feel like I'm, you know, able to understand what my gifts are and be an expression of them, if what I'm saying makes sense. Yep. You didn't have, you didn't have access to it because you didn't have a culture that had access to it. And, and I think that's important to, again, cultural context. When I say tribes and, and, and cultures, I'm talking about 10,000 years ago and beyond, like hunter-gatherer societies had the closest relationship to this. That's where that this is stemming from. It doesn't mean that there were living, breathing, hunter-gatherer cultures as far back as 200 years ago, and there still are some remnants of it. But about 10,000 years ago, we stopped living in that hunter-gatherer uh, culture and started moving into agriculture and then eventually cities. And that's where domination cultures began. Right. Those previous cultures weren't what I would call domination cultures. They were seeking to put every person into their the fullness of their medicine because that's what let the the tribe thrive. But when we started to move into agriculture and then into more urban development, in order to get those cities built, which and this is this is actually key, we started to move into cities. And we started to move into groups of people beyond 150. Our brains are developed to be in relationship, like real relationship, with up to 150 people. Once we go beyond that, we don't have, we start to lose the ability to track more than that, to be in relationship with more than that. And so to make up for that, to compensate for that loss, what was created was rules. And rules had rulers, and rulers got to sit on top of the triangle and everybody else below it. And so we slowly started to move step by step away from living in deep and conscious relationship with people and as and our gifts. 
And to replace that, there was rules. So all of this is to say uh, a part of why culture isn't designed to put people into relationship with their medicine is because it will lose control. Not, I'm not saying chaos. You won't be able to control people. You won't be able to have people do work because they won't do work that's out of relationship with their medicine. Right? This is how people control other people. Um, and I think we're, we're, we're at the cusp of a turning. I've heard it referred to as the great turning, where we're recognizing that this uh, control-dominated based uh, experiment isn't working anymore. And as a result, we're seeing it in our planet. We're seeing it in our culture. And I'm hopeful that we can move forward with an understanding of this stuff uh, and, and, and create a, a new and healthier way of, one, being in relationship to our medicine, still having culture and society and things that, that uh, allow us to be in relationship with more than 150 people. Um, uh, so I'm not advocating going backwards. I'm advocating taking a look at what we're talking about here saying, how can we use this moving forward, this knowledge, this understanding, uh, so that one, we can live in relationship with our true gifts, our frequency, our medicine, and uh, to do so in a good way that allows everybody to be in relationship with their medicine rather than keep them out of it for the sake of control. So just to, to finish up, because the question was, how, how do um, each of these life stage relate to our original medicine? The idea is that by the time we're adolescents, we're initiated and we know it, we understand it, we're building relationship to it so that we can apply it to the things that light us up that feel like an adult version of play, right, uh, rather than work, and use that to serve the people. Like you can actually do the things you love doing and serve other people doing it. I mean, that's the premise of everything I do work-wise today, helping people figure out what they love doing what their medicine is so that that work becomes something very different than how we experience it now so let's say person goes into adulthood you're using that to serve others and their natural relationship is to the opposite direction which is children and so it's adults who have children who raise children who give them that space to play and and engage with their natural gift likewise Elders in the in the north, they have a natural connection to adolescents in that they are the ones that are there to hear the adolescent stories, to ask the questions, to deepen their focused learning. To because remember, they're the ones with sight. They've lived all of the life stages. So they know naturally how to support and serve and mentor youth who are in that focused learning, who might be struggling to really go deep into a relationship with their medicine. Um, and I think I said it earlier, if, if not to you before, we live in this sort of distortion culture where adults, people in the adult life stage, are, are, are now doing almost everything. And we've sort of pushed our elders to the edges, if we even have elders. And 
that creates an imbalance in this natural flow and cycle. And I think it's worth looking at. I totally um, agree that it is definitely worth looking at. And I think we can all feel, I think everyone who is an adult and, and certainly who has kids can feel this imbalance that there's too much stacked on us, uh, at least uh, as we, you know, try to be all things to our kids, you know. So the last question I have for you, Michael, and then I want uh, you to tell us how people can find you. And that is, how can we cultivate a relationship with our medicine or develop a, a daily or weekly practice to connect to it so we can get to know our medicine a little better? Actually, I just did a vlog on it. it, it, it have you ever had that pair of jeans that just feel awesome and when you wear them, you feel like you're just like on top of the world? Like that, and I use that example because I think most of us have had that experience, whether it's jeans or uh, an outfit or a car or whatever it is. It, it's something that just lets you instantly feel like, yeah, like I just feel great. Well, that's the feeling of what it's like when you're aligned with your original medicine. So the simplest practice is to start to say yes to things that feel more like that for you and no to things that don't feel like that for you. You might have a meal that is just when you eat it, uh, when you think about it, you're like, yeah, like I really want that. Okay, say yes to those things. Or you might be like, oh, you know, I don't want it. I, I don't know why I eat this stuff. I like, yes, I like the way it tastes, but every time I eat it, I feel gross afterwards. Start saying no to those sorts of things. It's a frequency. And the idea is that you continue to align yourself with uh, other frequencies that bring that out in you. And no to things that don't. Uh, again, there's more to it. Obviously, we've, we've talked about a whole bunch of things today. But that is one simple practice that people can start to do now that I think they can do without uh, any help right away anyway. And of course, things will come up. Um, challenges will come up as a result of that. And that's where they can seek mentors like you and me for help. Right. And without, I, you know, that is an excellent, excellent practice. <laughs> and I'm just taking notes here. Um, I like to ask the people I interview to also then leave the listeners with a challenge. So you just gave us a practice which has, you know, challenge embedded in it. But um, can you also leave us with a challenge? Okay. So this idea of, here's the, the challenge, this idea of original medicine. In stories, myth all over the world, and it's funny because it's archetypal and it comes out in even modern stories, not even not just ancient ones. As a person is moving through childhood toward adolescence to that place where the medicine really wants to start coming out, it normally makes an appearance before the main appearance. And when it does, it, it it often comes out in a way that really causes us to step back or it causes the adults in our lives to step back. And it's not uncommon for us to either be punished or to be told uh, in some way, shape, or form that that medicine is too big, put it away, right? Because we're an unconscious culture. We're not actively looking the appearance of one's medicine. And just to get, like, I often use this as an example. 
uh, Harry Potter, just because so many of us know the story. In in the first Harry Potter story, uh, very early on, I think even in the first chapter, Harry goes to the zoo with his aunt and uncle and cousin, whom he's living with, the Dursleys. And there's this scene where his cousin is banging on the glass of this uh, great big huge uh, reptile. And uh, actually, this is how it's done in the movie. And he's screaming at the snake. He's saying, hey, snake, you know, like taunting it. And all of a sudden, the glass disappears. And he falls through. And he's in the tank with the snake. And then the glass is back there. And nobody knows. Not even Harry knows how this happened. This is where Harry's magic, the magic within, makes its first appearance. And this theme of this first appearance of, of magic is archetypal archetypal for a reason because it happens really with all of us uh, so my challenge would be to take a look at childhood probably somewhere between the age of i don't know eight nine ten in there a little bit and take a look to see if something happened where uh you were bigger than you usually were than you knew yourself to be and look at what the response was from your your family or your community around that was it uh, noticed and were you praised for it or was it noticed and you were most likely punished for it and then what did that tell you in that moment about being in relationship to your medicine did it enhance it or did it tell you to put it away and don't ever let that out again mm. it's too damn dangerous mm-hmm and unfortunately, I think most of us had that experience, the latter. Um, and we've been struggling to to let it out ever since. Ugh, so good. So that is an amazing challenge um, that can really, I think, if you're not already on the path of a conscious exploration of your original medicine, it's a great way to get on the path or if you're already on the path to deepen your understanding, and um, maybe start to change some of the stories that you might have been, you might be telling yourself or have been telling yourself about your medicine that might be in service to you to change those stories to something different. Yeah, totally. And, and I just want to say it's because of that event often that people who come to me often go, I, I don't know. I mean, does everybody have an original medicine? Yes, everybody has an original medicine. And when you know what it is, you wouldn't want anybody else's. So if you see somebody and you're jealous of how they're shown, then you're just not connected to yours. Because once you know what yours are, it's like like the best pair of jeans in the world. Like nothing else beats it. You couldn't imagine wanting anyone else's. And a lot of it stems from those early stories about hide it, put it away, yours isn't valuable, whatever other BS that we picked up then. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh, Michael, this has been so amazing, so educational. I've been part of a, a member of your tribe learning from you for the past five, six years now, and I feel like I always continue to learn from you again and again and again. So I'm so grateful for your time. You're such a gifted teacher and coach and speaker and motivator and artist and all the things that you show up to do to be an expression of your medicine, please tell listeners how they can find you if they want to learn more. Yeah, cool. Um, 
can find me at sagefirementoring.com, S-A-G-E-F-I-R-E, mentoring.com. Um, there's a whole bunch of information on there about how they can get in touch with me, uh, but that's the best place to start. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. You've been so generous. And I'm. this episode has just exceeded all of my wildest expectations. And um, I've worked with you twice now. And it's been both times. It's it, and, and to specifically explore my original medicine. And both times, it's, I guess, the way to describe it is mind blown. And so you talk about this, Michael, a lot. Um, the fact that this journey to um, being in relationship to your original medicine is that a journey and you can you're always going the next level deeper it's never like you've never just arrived and it's done and I certainly have experienced that every every time I think I have a good handle on things I go to that next level and it's such a rewarding journey and process and discovery so thank you so much for everything you do to make this world a better place that's for sure you're very welcome Thanks so much again to Michael. Thank you for tuning in and listening. And if you're digging on this content, like I hope you are, then I kindly ask you to hit subscribe wherever you're listening. I also invite you to head on over to my website, allisonscammell.com. That's A-L-L-Y-S-O-N-S-C-A-M-M-E-L-L.com, where you can sign up to my newsletter and you will receive three soul-guided meditations to help you get a vision of where you want to grow your life and business to in six months and where you need to place your focus today to shift into alignment to that vision. I've offered a lot of freebies on my website, but this is the one that has generated the most positive feedback as it's really producing results for people. So head on over there and sign up to get your first meditation today. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, Let's grow there together.